Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Mail.Bag. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and I am joined today uh, by a special co-host. You know him as at Frank Burt on Twitter. His name is Jeffrey Rasmussen. Jeff, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm slightly, slightly perturbed. Um, you know, I was really looking forward to this All-Star break. This season's really really sucked obviously and uh i took you know a little bit of time away from nick's twitter and nba twitter and i come back to it last night after not watching the three-point contest the dunk contest and lo and behold what are two of the main storylines you've got kendrick perkins talking about how the knicks should have drafted darius garland instead of rj barrett which is ridiculous on like a number of levels because everybody had Barrett third overall and the Hawks drafted fucking didn't, didn't they draft Deandre Hunter in front of Garland? Yes, so why aren't, yes, why, they why aren't they, why aren't they getting shit on for, for being a terrible pick? I mean, Barrett's been better than Hunter. And so I'm already annoyed. And then, you know, the OB stuff with the dunk contest is just, uh, yeah, I don't want to start ranting already, but you know, a little, a little annoyed, a little annoyed, you know, after trying to trying to get away from all this negativity, and it just seems to we seem to not be able to escape it here in Nick's world. So, before we get started today, uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that the Strickland does have a Patreon. Uh, you can subscribe to it. There are multiple tiers. Uh, the six dollar tier gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday. It also gets you access to mine. Jeremy and Doug's drew uh, our mailbag together. It also gets you access to the Strickland Discord, where we commiserate about the Knicks all the time. Uh, also, if you subscribe to the $9 tier, you get access to weekly articles from Jack Hundley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best in the business in terms of writing in general, uh, but more specifically, basketball writing, and even more specifically, Knicks writing. Uh, so definitely check that out. You also get access to po- uh Sorry, my podcast, uh, the individual one, Strick and Roll, uh, if you want to listen to me yell even more about the Knicks. Uh, other than that, there are also further tiers, $15, $30, $50, and $100 tiers. Uh, all of those come with additional benefits, like discounts on merchandise, uh, joining us on pod recordings, and even potentially hosting a podcast with us. Uh, 
whether you subscribe or not, we want to thank you for your support. And without further ado, let's get into this episode. You know, uh, the Garland thing is, I don't know. Um, there were people that liked him in that draft. Uh, I think it's easy to say they should have picked him in hindsight. I'm not even quite sure that, you know, um, right now, yeah, maybe Garland's a better player. Is that going to be the case in a year, two years, three years? Who knows? They're still both very much uh, in their ascendancy as players. So uh, we'll see. I mean, got to give credit to Garland and um, got to give credit to the Cavs for drafting him. But I don't think the uh, the end game is here uh, for both those guys. And um, yeah, I mean, I think in hindsight, it's easy to say it. But in the moment, you know, nobody, you know, I just think, it's ridiculous to assume that that was actually an option. Um, Maybe they could have traded down and gotten something else and drafted him, whatever, but we don't know. You know, we just don't know. And, um, you know, I think there's always this obsession with going back. People do this a lot with the draft. It's like an obsession with going back and being like, well, if they just picked this perfect player, the best player at this spot, you know, people do this with Bain too, right? Oh, well, the Knicks took quickly, he's good, but they could have taken Desmond Bain, which, by the way, like, I, I, that's another one. I'm just like, I, I would hold off on uh, taking victory laps either way on that. Um, but yeah, I just think it's always like easy to say this stuff in hindsight, but like, you know, did the Knicks take a good player at 25? Yes. Okay. You should probably just be happy with that. Like if you take a good player late in the draft, you should be happy with that. And I mean, we see this with OB too, where it's like, oh, he's a mistake. And we'll get into that because I think there's a lot of framing of that that is resulting from how he has been used or lack thereof uh, through his time so far in New York. But before we get started, uh, I do need to make an announcement that the Strickland does have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are many different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to the mailbag uh, every other week that I do with Jeremy and Drew. Uh, you also get access to Pod Strickland every Friday, in addition to access to the Strickland Discord, where we talk about the Knicks all the time. Uh, it's great. It's wonderful. Highly recommend it. There's also a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks, dare I say basketball, dare I say any content writers uh, out there. You also get access to my solo podcast, Trick and Roll. Uh, I just had Mo DeKeel of The Athletic on this week, uh, and we talked about a lot of stuff about Tibbs and how he has not done a good job so far this year. Um, so if you want to if you want to get more access to me yelling about stuff, uh, you can do that. There's also a fifteen dollar tier, a thirty dollar tier, a fifty dollar tier, and a hundred dollar tier. Those get you access to a variety of different things, such as merchandise discounts, watch parties, uh, listening on pod recordings, even potentially hosting a pod on your own. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, let's get into the mailbag. Um, all right. So, let's start from the top. This is from Bugsy Sig on Twitter. If, when the Knicks end up in the lottery, should they A, move up for a Jaden Ivey, B, sit tight at 7-9 and take a tie tie Washington, or C, cash in the pick and assets in a trade? If C, who would you target in a trade? Um... So I've got to be honest with regards to draft stuff. I'm not the most clued into the draft. Um, I know 
I, I've watched a decent amount of uh, both Duke prospects just because I'm an ACC guy. I, I was born in Chapel Hill. I'm a Carolina fan. Uh, so, you know, I, I like A.J. Griffin, but um, and, and I, I think there's a chance the Knicks are going to be in his range, especially if the season keeps going this way. Um, I, I do think it's an interesting discussion just regarding what the Knicks should target. Um, because I, I feel like a, a big hot topic regarding the Knicks right now is like, oh, they just need to get a point guard. They need to get a point guard. They need to get a point guard. That's what everyone says. You know, like they're like, oh, let's draft Ty Ty Washington. Let's, uh, sign Jalen Brunson. And, uh, I'm going to throw this back to you because one, I think you're a little bit more clued in on the draft than I am. Uh, but two, curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I, I don't think getting a true point guard, whether it's through the draft or, um, signing someone like Jalen Brunson is this quick fix that everyone seems to think it is because at the end of the day, we still have RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. And if Tibbs is still our coach, they're still going to share the court a huge percentage of their minutes. And so this idea to me, to me, this idea that a point guard is going to come in and stabilize things is kind of flawed because I'm not sure a true point guard is exactly what they need. And I think we're seeing that. I know Kemba Walker is kind of cooked, but our offense is going to run through these two guys regardless, right? So, like, isn't someone even as established as Jalen Brunson going to just come in and, yeah, he gets to the rim and he, he provides more rim pressure than anyone we've had in forever. But is is he going to be the number one usage option? Like, what, what do you think of that? Um, I, I personally don't, I mean, I think getting a point guard will help. Um, and I think it's really stupid that we actually have no, I mean, like the odds are that quickly is not going to be the, uh, capable primary initiator that we ultimately need, but, um, we also have not bothered to give it a chance, find out. So I find that pretty annoying. Um, I find the fact that Deuce McBride can't get minutes on this team really annoying, even though you know Tom Thibodeau is apparently a huge fan of his in the draft and pushed for them to take him. Um, that actually makes it even more ridiculous. Uh, and I just, you know, the the arguments to not play these guys are always so fucking stupid. It's like, oh, well, what if he's not ready? What if this? What if that? And it's like, dude, there are like multiple players drafted in that exact range um, who are starting for teams. Like, you know, like Io DeSunmu is starting for a fucking number one seed. I think, I don't know. Are, are the Bulls the one seed? I don't, whatever they are. They're like a yeah, top three seed in the East. They're tied for the one seed with the Yeah. Heat. So like he's starting for the fucking one seed in the East and Somehow, you know, we can't even dare to try to start or not even start, just fucking play deuce. Um, because if we do, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Apparently we're going to lose more than we already are. Um, so whatever I, I, that part's frustrating for me. I don't really worry about the usage stuff. Like, I don't know what true point guard means, but like, I think ultimately you just want to guard <coughs> who can play on and off ball. So whatever the usage is, like I think Brunson would probably fit really well with RJ and Randall. That that doesn't really concern me too much. Um, uh, you know, 
what should the Knicks do? I mean, I'm actually not very clued in on the draft. I just started watching college basketball like in the last week. Thank you, Knicks, um, for <laughs> making me do that again this year. Um, but like, for me personally, I think the Knicks need to be aggressive. I think they need to start. I understand why they took a more cautious and patient approach over the last couple of years, but I think it's time that they start being more aggressive and getting their and really rolling the dice on their preferred options instead of just being, you know, uh, tight with their hands, like how they're playing them. I think they need to start playing bigger, bigger hands. Um, so if that is and, and 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 stop being like passive, like like it almost feels like they're afraid to make a deal that's not like overwhelmingly plus EV, you know, like they're, they're, they're trying to win every deal. Whereas like sometimes there's just value in, in almost a neutral deal, excuse me, a neutral deal. If it, if it means you're committing to a path, they're very much trying to have their feet in the ocean, one foot in the ocean, one foot on, on the sand and sort of not make a mistake, you know, like, and I don't know if that's being haunted by Nick's past or if it's just, staying patient, staying uh, cautious. But at a certain point, you have to take a path. You have to choose a path. Yeah, and I think I think some of that is, like, they want to maintain flexibility so they have options. But, like, I think you can still have options while still being aggressive. So, like, you know, for me, I don't know much about this draft. So take this for what it's worth. Like, personally, if it's me, if the Knicks are drafting 7-9 and they can move up to get a player like Jade, if presumably, let's say they have Jaden Ivey as, like, clear-cut number one uh, ball handler, primary initiator, whatever, in this draft, if they can make a deal that's not crazy, like, let's say the deal is their pick, a future one, and Obi. You know, I love Obi. I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, but, like, I think that's a deal where if you really believe in a prospect, I think that's a deal you should be willing to take. Um, and I think, like, it doesn't need to be Jaden Ivey. If it's you know, like you said, AJ Griffin, if it's the Jabari kid from Auburn, if it is Chet Holmgren, I don't care who it is, regardless of who it is, if they believe in a prospect, they need to just make an aggressive move and get him. And the the argument in favor of doing this would be, look at the Steph Curry draft. They clearly loved Steph Curry. They loved Steph Curry. And they were just too passive about making an aggressive deal to go up and make sure they got their guy. Um, in the moment, you could say that was prudent, but looking back now, uh, would you rather have done that and gotten Steph fucking Curry? Or are you happy that the Knicks did not do that and ultimately had to cash in Jordan Hill just to fucking move off of money uh, a few months later to fail in free agency? Like, these are the things that you ultimately need to decide as a front office. And it's not easy, but um, if, if, I'm, if I'm the Knicks, I would definitely be aggressive with how you handle this pick. Um, and... That and and to the final point, um, if it was C, to me, I think that is that is a player. Like I, I would try to get uh, Shea Gilders Alexander. Um, I do still feel he's gettable. I don't think that he's off the limits. And actually, if anything, I would suggest that the way they've been playing lately, uh, with Josh Giddy taking the leap and Trey Mann looking pretty good, I would suggest that maybe they're even more open to trading Shea Gilders Alexander than they might have been previously because they could be in a position where they are super flexible and they actually become once his extension kicks in, which they've already inked the extensions that kicks in this off season, they are no longer an under the cap team. 
They are very capped out for the foreseeable future, I believe. So, um, you know, I, I think that he's there. I think there's a, a price. It'll, it will not be a cheap price, but I do think there's a price where you can get him. Um, I know he's at a down year. I don't really give a shit. I think he's I, I, like sometimes you just need to, you know, you like just you, you, like, you, like you said, you need to make a, a move that maybe isn't plus EV or whatever, but like. Sometimes you just gotta trust like your gut, and I don't really give a shit. Like people can, if people disagree with Shea Gilders Alexander, that's fine. Uh, I just think that he's really, really good, and I think you put him on a team like the Knicks, he's gonna be an All Star next year. Like I, I really hundred percent believe that. Um, so I don't know what the trade is to get him. If that is like you give up a first this year, like if the Knicks moved up in the draft, if it is like you have to give up that pick, you give up Obi, you give up a future one, you give up another future one. I don't know what it is, but I would play a big hand to get uh, a player like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, I also think another player to consider trading shit like that for would be DeAndre Ayton, who I 100% believe is gettable. Um, the fact that they didn't extend him last year when they had the opportunity makes me strongly feel that. And... Yeah, I mean, I just, I think that he's very gettable. And I, I know that people don't like trading shit for centers because there's this weird notion that centers are running backs and they're all replaceable. Which, by the way, like, I think we're also learning that not all running backs are replaceable. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just think that Aiton is a pretty special player. Like, I think he's really, really spectacular defensively. And I know they've had success this season without him. But, you know, if you really think that Bismack Biombo is going to anchor a championship defense... In a few months, like I, I'm sorry, I, I like I, I got a bridge to sell you then because he's not. He can't do all the different coverages that Aiton can do. You can literally run any any type of defensive coverage, switch, drop, blitz, trapping, whatever you want to pick. He can do all of it, and that is special. There's not many centers who can do that. You know, you can count them on one hand, and some I mean, of them aren't even fucking centers. Some of them are like Giannis, whatever Giannis is, which is Giannis. And if uh, if the Suns, Sarver, you know, they, they they basically decide we don't we don't want to give Aiton a max. Uh, I feel like there's a very natural trade there, uh, like like trade where we sign and trade Mitch over to them and give them you know a replacement that's on Booker's timeline, and then throw in some picks. Like at least we can offer them, we could we could we could offer them something in theory. Um, but I, I feel like that that bring that and uh, Shay get, bring up a pretty interesting point uh, would or discussion point, which is would it worry you at all to make a trade with with a team like that with a with a smart front office like the Thunder or the Suns where they're giving up on someone where we uh, as outside viewers were like well, why why are they giving up on these guys but they have far more information. My older brother, who's one of the smartest people I know has always, you know, cautioned, you know, trading with like the Patriots or the Rays because they always seem to win these trades in hindsight. And we're always like, well, how, how did they, how do they keep doing it? And it's, they have maximum information about these players. And so would that worry you at all with like, like why are the thunder giving up on a 22 year old all-star if not for reasons that only they know? Well, I mean, I don't know. The Thunder traded James Harden, so 
they did do that. Yeah, that's um, true. That was kind of a different circumstance, though. But yeah. it was. But I mean, that's the point, right? It's like I don't think the circumstance is straightforward. I think that they would be trading Shea for a specific reason. Um, they can push back their timeline without maybe taking a step back because Josh Giddy looks like he's taking a, a leap already in his rookie season. Um, you got Trey Mann, who's looking really good. They've got a lot of picks. They've got a lot of assets. I also think that in some ways they would like to be a player to move up in next year's draft. I think that they would love to get Victor Wembenyama, if, if that's I think that's how you pronounce his name, who's apparently some like he's like seven three and is just freakish generational type of talent the way people are talking about him. So um, I think they would like to do that. I also think that if they want to do that, like. You know, effectively, they've kind of more or less, let's say they've been happy for Shea to sit out the last couple of years uh, when he sat out for extended time. I don't think they're too upset about it. But I do think there comes a point in time where, you know, Shea Gilders Alexander has talked openly about he wants to be an all-star. He wants to be recognized um, as, you know, on the level with these guys like Trey and Garland even and whatever. Um, and quite frankly, that's not happening for him in, in OKC. You know where it happened? It would definitely fucking happen in New York. Um, so uh, I think there's multiple factors at play. Uh, also, the Patriots aren't that smart of a team. I think people need to relax that. Their <laughs> intelligence ends with, uh, you know, they had Tom Brady and they had Bill Belichick together and they won a lot. But as far as the Rays, I agree with, but the, the Patriots, no, get the fuck out of here. They're not that smart of a team. Okay. What about the Patriots of like the mid two thousands? It did seem like they won a lot of, their they just had a market inefficiency. Then I think they realized that like, there were certain things that you could not like paying receivers then was stupid because of just the way you could take receivers out of games back then. I think that they understood like, you didn't need to have, uh, you know, I, I just think that the league is a lot smarter now. And I think there are various different inefficiencies to exploit that they don't have a monopoly on anymore. And, you know, they were first to the party, but I, you know, the league is caught up now and they don't have the built in advantage of the greatest coach of all time and the greatest quarterback of all time together, you know? Um, so I, you know, I don't want to go too much into football, but yeah, I don't think they're, I think people have caught up. It's kind of like the, the athletics thing, right? You know, um, they were first to really implement sabermetrics across the board and and um, take advantage of the fact that there was, you know, people were stuck in decades-old thinking in baseball, and they took advantage of it, but um, that is not there now. and Or it, it, people cut up in it real quick, and, they, and actually I believe that, I'm not a huge baseball guy, but I'm pretty sure they, they've even, like, and I know Billy Bean's not there anymore, but before he left, I think they had even gone back and revisited some of their scouting and drafting policies of like, yeah, actually, you know what? Maybe it is a market inefficiency now to take high school players because nobody takes high school players anymore uh, because we told people not to take high school players. Um, so I think that's that's something to, to consider. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, Bean's still, Bean's still with the A's. Um, is he? I thought he, didn't he leave to like start a company or something like that? No, no, he's no. still there. He's still okay. their main guy. Um, but yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, and he actually had a really cool pivot like when people started to figure the saber stuff out, he, uh, I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent right that like every, like baseball is pretty much solved now. So everyone has, you know, everyone's doing what they're doing. Uh, it's really tough to have an edge, but, uh, in the early 2010s, when everyone had figured out, you know, the on base stuff and the, the first wave of saber, he, uh, he did exactly what you said through the draft. And then he, he basically just, 
emphasized fielding, which was like very niche at the time. And like everyone was, you know, everyone was focused on, on, on base. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's really smart. Um, so that, you got the nerd in me thinking about uh, <laughs> about uh, baseball. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and actually, just to go back to the point, like even smart teams do stupid things. Like the Suns are smart. They also drafted Jalen Green tenth overall, and then didn't exercise his third year option. Had to trade him for basically nothing. Uh, not nothing. Yeah. They got, did get Tory Craig back, but J- Jalen Smith. But yeah, <laughs> Jalen Smith. Sorry. Um, no, you're good. Yeah, I mean they could have drafted. You know, people, oh, the Knicks could have had Tyrese Halliburton. Guess who else could have had Tyrese Halliburton? The fucking Suns, but they didn't. So, um, you know, there's a lot of players they could have taken that would have helped them more than than Jalen Smith, and um, they didn't. So I don't think they're immune from making stupid decisions. Um, you know, Daryl Morey has made stupid decisions. He made, he's made great decisions. Sam Presti's made great decisions. He made stupid decisions. All these guys, like Sam Presti once traded two first-round picks for Ennis Cantor to pay him, and gave Ennis Cantor four years, $72 million, and Dion Waiters. So, you know, all these guys are smart. Uh, they're Even great GMs make stupid moves. You know, Jerry West drafted Drew Gooden. So, you know, there's <laughs> everybody does stupid shit. I don't think it, it means anything. Um, but, you know, I, you just have to make moves that you... Like, that, that's kind of my point. Is like, the Knicks should not avoid making a move just because a smart GM is doing something. Like... That's an opportunity. That's not like, and you should weigh it, and you should weigh all the information. But like, if Sam Presti's like, yeah, you can get Shea Gilders Alexander for such and such a price. If the price is, you know, whatever it is, I, I don't know, right? But if it's a price that you think, like, if your value on him is he can be an all star, which I do, um, and he fills our <laughs> biggest need as a franchise, arguably for the long term, um, it's it, like, you should be willing to pay an all-star price for that. Um, so, again, this goes back to the Knicks should be aggressive. Um, also, I will say this. I don't think... I know there's been a lot of talk about like Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell's not going anywhere this year. They The, the all-star game is in Utah next year. There's no shot. There's absolutely no shot. They're trading him for that. So, everybody should just relax and hold on because he's not going anywhere for a while. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. This one is from Yale 7 flip-flop this year and last, and how are we all feeling with the franchise? Year one is a 10-12 to 12 game improvement, Randall up and down, but flashing all-star potential, RJ taking leaps, top 10 pick, etc. Year two is 42 wins, all-NBA Randall, IQ pops, RJ 40 from three. I gotta say this, I have thought about this, and I actually, for me personally, my frustrations with this team this year have, I know, like, Every time I say this, people are like, no, you're just saying that because, like, it's because you have expectations. Like, no, it's not because I have expectations. It's because of how the team is being managed by the head coach. That is what is driving me fucking bananas about this year. Because I am perfectly, I made my peace with not being as good this year um, a while back. You know, like, I think that there is value sometimes, like, progression for players, for collective groups of players for franchises is not linear. Sometimes you take a step back. Um, sometimes your plans don't go according to plan. Uh, and that's okay. Like that's actually like part of the process, you know, like we can all sit here and pretend the Cavs are like this amazingly well-ran team. Nobody fucking thought that before this year. So like progression is not linear. Um, it is very up and down and I'm okay with where the Knicks are. I think the Knicks are in a fairly, if you just zoom out, forget the fucking day to day, mess of this season if you just look at where the knicks are as a franchise 
um, they're they're in a pretty good place. Like they have a, like, do they have a perennial all NBA type of young talent? Maybe not. Probably not. You know, I love RJ Barrett. I think it'd be hard to view him right now uh, as like a future perennial all NBA guy. That doesn't mean I don't think he can make, I think he's going to be a multiple time all-star, but perennial all NBA is a different level. You know, like I, I think we can all agree that, but like, yeah, maybe they don't have that, but they do have like some really nice young talent. Like I think the young players they do have, all to varying degrees look like really solid NBA players. RJ, Grimes, OB, IQ, um, Mitch, if you want to include him, you know, Deuce McBride from what we've seen of him. Like, they all seem like good players. Cam Reddish, I actually, he's not a good player right now, but like the tools and potential and all that stuff, like he could be a really good player. Like they, they, they have intriguing pieces. So like to answer this question, I think if you reverse it, everybody would probably view it similarly. Like, oh wow, like this is like, a really intriguing situation and like maybe they can go some places, but because, because, um, you know, I think if you ask them, they probably, if you asked like Leon Rose, what his plan was, I think this would have been his plan. Like year one is what year two has been in year, year two is what year one was. Um, that would have probably been like how they had envisioned things, but it didn't go like that. Um, so, you know, I, I would suggest to people that like most of the frustration you're having, with this tier, with the team this year, is likely down to factors due to coaching, um, and that doesn't mean that you, like we've had. There's plenty of people who don't think Tom Thibodeau is a pro, has, is a problem or that he's done much wrong. Um, I would disagree with them, but like I, I think that ultimately, even if you think that, if it, actually if you think Tibbs isn't part of the problem and he's actually like a victim of various circumstances then even more so than than anything else, you should feel pretty good about the direction of this franchise because they're still in a very flexible situation. And, um, you know, I think it's it's easy to lose sight of that because of how frustrating this year has been. But um, for me, personally, the frustration has to do with the coaching. Um, and and I'm if I have a concern, it's like, is the front office going to exercise its authority to to really, like, dictate more of the direction of the day-to-day organization of minutes, lineups, whatever. Um, it seems like maybe that's going to happen after the All-Star break. We'll see. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say that if you flipped it, I think everybody would feel great about the franchise. Um, I feel like pretty good about it in the long-term view, even if currently I'm very frustrated and annoyed. Yeah, I mean... My answer is going to be short because you nailed everything I was going to say beat for beat. Um, I 100% agree that if you zoom out, the Knicks are in a great spot. 100% agree that progression is rarely linear. I think a lot of people, you know, think of progression as like when you start a Madden franchise or an NBA 2K franchise, you know, you you got this 21-year-old who's a 79 overall, and then the next year he's an 82 overall, and it doesn't actually work like that. Um I think it's been really good to see, you know, Barrett's shooting actually stabilize. I think a lot of us worried that a lot of, too too much of his production last season was running hot from three. Um, and so it's nice to see that he's, even though he's not the uh, outlier shooting he was last year, he's still a good enough shooter that, I think we can rely on that consistently. Um, And yeah, I mean, the only place I'll push back on you a little bit in terms of feeling good is 
I actually apparently think that the Thibodeau issue is uh, a bigger, or maybe not a bigger issue than you think it is, but it could have a more lasting effect um, on the good things we have than people are giving credit for. Because as long as we continue to not see young guys play together or not see young guys featured at all, the, the nice talent and the good things about this season don't really matter that much because at a certain, at some point they have to build chemistry together and they have to go through bumps and bruises or experience bumps and bruises. And we're just not seeing that at all. So like if at the end of the year we're this roster, but it's just the same rotations and same minutes distributions and we haven't learned anything about this team I think that's a pretty big problem because it hinders our front office's ability to make decisions and figure out who is worth building around, who is worth keeping around, because eventually we're going to have to consolidate. I think you agree with that. You just can't have this many guys and consolidation and maximizing consolidation is going to come from maximum information. And we have no information right now. So I think that's a pretty bad thing. And yeah, I, I mean, to your point, I think Tibbs has been terrible this year and he should be fired. Like, I am on the record saying that, especially over the last couple of weeks. Um, I wasn't there the entire season because I think that when the season was still in a position where a playoff spot and these kind of things were in the balance, um, I can give a little bit more leeway to a coach leaning on veterans to win now and stuff like that. Um, but like, especially as results have turned against us, the, the actual increase in leaning on the veterans in the face of those results, which is completely contradictory, by the way, like it makes absolutely no sense to do that. But, um, yeah, like he, he's got to go. I'm sorry. Like he's got to go or he's got to have a complete turnaround in his approach, which means, the willingness to do things that he has not shown a willingness to do. Like, are you willing to play Julius Randle and Obi Toppin together and adjust your defensive coverages and scheme in those minutes together to make that viable? Because to me, it's possible that it's viable, but it's not going to be if all we do is run drop coverage defensively with those two. And that is like, that That to me is a big thing is is our front office capable of recognizing stuff like that? Where it's not just about getting the information, but also understanding like how that information is being derived. Because to me, like offensively, I'm actually not worried about that at all. I think I, like Randall and OB together offensively is likely to work great with the guys that we have um, on the perimeter. So I'm not worried about that in the least. But defensively, I think it will require Tibbs to adjust from what he wants to do. Or is he willing to do that? Is he willing to you know, live with Cam Reddish getting 20, 25 minutes a night over at the expense of somebody like Alec Burks, even though in the short term that might lose you more games because because you didn't trade for Cam Reddish for what he is now. You traded Cam for Cam Reddish to see what he can be and whether you can develop him into that player. So you have to live with some pain in the short term to get that. Is he willing to start quickly a point and not you know, lose his shit and immediately sub him if he struggles at first stretches. Like, he has to show a willingness to adapt in a lot of ways. And, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think that he's been a big problem uh, in terms of getting 
information about our young players. Um, but yeah, uh, all right, let's move on to our next question, which is from Jake Andrews. He's got two questions, actually. What do you think would have happened if Rose actually traded Burks, Kemba, and Fournier at the deadline? Um, this is like a tough question because I don't know what he would have traded them for. But like, I I do wonder if some of the not... What I sense is that Leon Rose probably had the front office... The front office, the front office is thinking, you know, from Brock Aller and Worldwide West's perspective. I think it's been the the reddish trade was a big tell on what they were thinking. I thought um, that to me was like a very much a we just need to take chances on talent and because we don't have enough of it and we're not where we need to be as a franchise to really compete. I thought that was a very forward looking move. I thought that was positive in a lot of ways. Um, whether Cam pans out or not, I think that type of thinking speaks very well about what the front office's view is of the current roster and not getting lost in, Oh my God, we went 41 and 31 last year. And like, try, we got to try to win now. And I think that that, that shows a lot, but I also think that Tibbs, you know, Tibbs and Leon are close. We know this. We know that Tibbs has, he, he does, he's allowed input into personal decisions. I do think that there was probably some of like, Let's see if Tibbs can get something going after the deadline. Because we know how, you know, these guys are human. They know they're in trade rumors. We know that can affect how you perform on the court. Maybe the thinking is, okay, let's see how it goes after the trade deadline. Maybe it'll settle down and we'll we'll go on a run because guys will understand they're here for the rest of the year, blah, 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 whatever. Um, so uh, my thinking is Rose just tried to not piss anybody off, Leon. He didn't want to piss anybody off and kind of just wanted to see how things played out. But... I thought the, uh, the the press conference after the Brooklyn game, you know, Tibbs talking about, like, our focus is on development, which is hilarious for him to say, by the way. Um, but I think that was like a, he might have finally gotten the memo, um, you know, might have gotten the memo from Leon, like, hey, buddy, uh, you, you had your shot, but this season's over, pal. Uh, we're not we're not doing the Todd Gibson for 25 minutes a night thing anymore. Um, so I would say that, if Rose had actually traded Burks coming out of Fournier at the deadline, it would not surprise me if Tibbs had, if there was a firing or a mutually agreed to part ways type of thing or something along those lines. Um, more than anything else, I think that's that's probably what would have happened. Uh, all right, before we continue, Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state specific responsible gaming resources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. The frustrating thing to me about it, um, and I'll, I'll directly answer the question in a second, but the, the frustrating thing to me about it is that there's no, uh, there's no evidence that Thibodeau is doing like what has the best chance of winning now. Like, like that's it, it's Prez. I think it, it was Prez that's repeatedly said that Tibbs' problem or his criticism in uh, Minnesota is that he's just a poor talent evaluator, and I feel like that is what's poking its head out right now because you know we're not asking him to do we're not asking him to tank. That I think to me that's what's been most frustrating about the the first half of the season. Uh, some of the changes I feel like a lot of people have harped on him about, specifically quickly being the point guard, are I mean I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say they'd be guaranteed to be a playoff team or you know it's even guaranteed to be meaningfully better, but he's playing lineups that are worse in the short term by every objective measure, and so I don't really understand this whole paradigm that we as a fan base have created where like oh, Thibodeau doesn't tank, so he can't do that. Like, he's not just going to let quickly go wild. And it's like, but playing Kemba at point guard is tanking. We, we are tanking, it's just our coach doesn't realize it. Like, I, I don't understand why everyone thinks there's this correlation between playing the younger... Sometimes playing the younger guy is, is actually better for winning now, and it just so happens to be better for our future. It's not like I'm sitting here asking him to try Cam Reddish at the four for 20 minutes a night, you know? Like that, that's a whole different conversation, but like there, there's so many things we haven't seen, but some of the, the lowest hanging fruit actually helps our short term and our long term. So that's where I get really confused is like why Thibodeau is passing on some of these really easy decisions that have, that will likely help our short term and also help our long term. Uh, and with that in mind, I, I, I don't know how crazy Tibbs would have gotten, even if we took the gun out of his hands, even if we took, you know, um, Burks and Kemba, Kemba and Fournier. Now, now, obviously, there's only so much he could do regarding playing veterans, but I, I don't know if he would have, you know, done everything that fans were hoping he would have done, uh, which goes to your point that if the front office and Tibbs can't, can't mutually agree on a vision and Tibbs continues to be stubborn, uh, I think he's sort of ran his course. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you can probably get through this year um, in terms of just like, I'm pretty sure the front office, and I know I've said this for a while and I was wrong, uh, I, and, you know, after the trade deadline was its own thing, but I, I do think like the way they've lost the last three games seriously changes things. Like, I don't even think Tibbs can avoid that at this point. Um, so I, I do think things are going to change in terms of how minutes are 
who is getting minutes, let's put it that way. Um, but I don't think Tibbs is going to be here long term. I do think that by at the end of the season, they're going to part ways. Um, it just does not seem viable at this point. And um, yeah, to your point about like, you know, if you're trying to win, then none of his decisions make any sense. And the defense of him, like, oh, well, he's playing vets because he's trying to win his bullshit, just based on the data. Like, literally, just look at the data. It makes no sense. Like, the, like if he wants to not play Cam by that logic, that's okay with me. Like, if that was a logic with Cam, like, hey, look, like, I'm trying to win games, so I'm not going to play Reddish. Like, there's a bunch of data that would indicate that is true. That right now, Cam Reddish is not helping you win basketball games on the court. So that would actually be completely okay with me. But then none of the other decisions he's making make any sense. Kemba does not help you win more games right now than, than Emmanuel Quickly. If Emmanuel Quickly goes 0 for 9 from the field every single game for the rest of the season, he is still a more net positive player than Kemba Walker. Like, that's just a fact. I'm sorry. Like, if you don't think that, then you can go fuck yourself and you don't know basketball. Quite frankly, yeah, the, like, the, the quickly discourse is incredibly frustrating. Like I, I run the Strickland account during games and so, with uh, with Colin and some of the uh, some of the comments, I, I really have to restrain myself. I, I once again have to thank you because one of the uh, one of the first things you told me was that, you know, when you make a when when you tweet something that, you know, is going to be, you know, volatile or get a lot of feed engagement, sometimes you just mute the tweet and move on with your life. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's how that's helped me quite a bit because. Some of the, especially regarding quickly, some of some of the responses are yeah, the, the, head, head scratching. The um, incredible and, thing with with this team is like, and this is this is why they just need like Tibbs is so clearly part of the problem. Everything has become divisive now, and that's down to how he's managing this roster. Like it is divisive to say Obi Toppin should get more minutes than Taj, and why is it divisive? Well, oh well, Taj plays the five, and Obi doesn't play the five. Like th- you know how stupid that is. Like that we are sitting here talking about positional minutes because that's how rigid Tibbs has been and that's how people are viewing it now he has distorted the view of so many things well IQ is not a point guard why is he like is Kemba a point guard what does that mean what does that mean with this team is Kemba a point guard is Alec Burks a point guard I have no idea they haven't played like it and even if let's say all three of them none of them are point guards guess which one has actually been the best of those three even amid a horrible shooting stretch is Emmanuel quickly and the other thing that's fucking insane is that people have been like acting like quickly has been terrible all year. If you literally just go back to after the Boston games in January, so I think that was January 6th or whatever, if you look at a season from the start to that point and just look at his percentages, they're basically the same as last year across the board. Shooting a little worse from three, shooting a little bit better from two, true shooting is a little bit down, EFG is a little bit down, and yeah, he's had a terrible shooting month, and even in that terrible shooting month, guess who has the second best net rating on the team? Emmanuel Quickly. Like, the, the, the discourse about is stupid, and people have just justified it, and people that are intelligent, uh, I should say also, have just bought into this asinine logic of like, well, he's not making shots, so how can he play him? Fucking Burks hasn't made shots for a while, Kemba, even when he makes shots, he fucking sucks. You know, like, it's, it's just stupid discourse, and people have bought into this nonsense, this nonsensical approach of like, well, if guys aren't making shots, they can't play. Oh, well, Tibbs, how can, what's Tibbs supposed to do? He, guys aren't making shots. Like, guess what, buddy? You play terrible lineups consistently, it has a way of affecting guys' field goal percentages. Because that's why certain lineups are good, and that's why certain lineups are bad. Because certain groups play better together, and they elicit 
more production out of each other. That is what coaching is, is finding those lineups. It's not leaning into stupidity of, oh, guys got to make shots. Like anybody that uses that as a defense of coaching is a fucking moron who should probably never watch basketball again. Um, all right. That was, I, I just, I just want to say, I just want to add the, the weirdest thing to me with quickly is what you said. And that's the focus on, well, if he's not making shots, how can you play him? And like, it's based upon what his draft profile was, that he's a shooter. And I don't understand why we continue to, like, cap his ceiling and continue to... Because uh, Tibbs mis- isn't it. Because that's, that's like, why. That, that's literally like, why. He's, he's been good at everything but shooting. And so, like, this idea that he's not he's not more than just a shooter is very strange to me because he's been a good distributor. He's been a really good defender. I know his defense has fallen off a little bit lately, but, like... He still is a part of all of our good defensive lineups. Like, all right, here, here's an example. Uh, I brought this up on Spaces. Can I just uh, point this out real quick, by the way? Yeah. Terrible Emmanuel quickly. Horrible, horrible Emmanuel quickly. He's at about 51 true shooting. Not particularly, you know, that, that's not great. Yeah, it's not good. It's not great. <laughs> Kemba Walker, who is garbage on defense. Absolutely garbage on defense. He's at 53.7 true shooting. Like, like, I don't think people really understand what that means. And by the way, these are the same people who will tell you Marcus Smart is Jesus Christ. Oh my God, Marcus Smart, amazing. Marcus Smart, like, never shoots well. Literally does not shoot well ever in his fucking life. Uh, guess what he's shooting this year? 31% from three, 41 from the field, 48.7 EFG. His career EFG is 46. His career three-point percentage, 31.9. His career field goal percentage, 38. His advanced, like his true shooting this year, fifty three. His career true shooting is literally get get hold of this. It is quite literally what Emmanuel Quickly's true shooting is this year. Okay, fifty point nine. Like, and guess what? People will tell you he's he's oh I love that guy. Love the the way he competes. All this shit. It's horseshit. You know, like they don't love it. They don't love it because if they watched him every game, they would have the same fucking bullshit take they have about quickly. So the whole quickly discourse is stupid, and people are so full of shit when it comes to it. Um, because oh, smart's a dog, and like he competes, and he's an emotional leader. Like <laughs> you know what? Like that's all bullshit, man. Because quickly has been a driving positive player since his the literally from day 1 in the NBA and to to focus on his struggles and focus on everything he's he can't do or doesn't do yet well or whatever it is it is how that that is Tibbs logic that's how you don't develop talent is by focusing and and obsessing over what they can't do and actually trying to hide it and put them in positions where they're they're not even attempting to get better at those things. And that is what people want, apparently, uh, the Knicks to do with Quickly. That's what they want them to do with Obi. That's what they want them to do with Deuce McBride. And and that's what they wanted them to do with R.J. Barrett in the beginning of the season. Like, this is the thing. Like, oh, R.J. Barrett, he's, he's not shooting well. He's not doing this. So how can the Knicks, you know, he doesn't deserve more on-ball reps. Like, guess what? When magically the Knicks started giving him more on-ball reps, all of a sudden he started producing. It's almost like... Like, he's not some spot-up Ray Allen off-the-ball shooter. By the way, Ray Allen, I, I apologize for limiting him to that description. But, um, but yeah, like, the, the way people talk about that stuff, like, what does it say that R.J. Barrett took off? And guess what? He started shooting the ball better when his usage went up, when he started getting, getting used differently. Oh, wow, I, I guess coaching can influence how guys shoot and how they perform. Very weird stuff. 
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.